us now wind the web of war, which the young king once waged. Let us advance and wade through the ranks where friends of ours are exchanging blows. Let us now wind the web of war and then follow kings to battle. Gonor and Gundol can see there the blood spattered shields that guard kings. Let us now wind the web of war where the warriors banners are forging it forward. Let their lives not be taken. Only the Valkyrie can choose the slain. Lands will be ruled by new people who once inhabited outlying headlands, who pronounced kings destined to die. Now the Jarls are felled by spears. The defeated men will suffer a grief that will never grow old in the minds of men. The web is now woven and the battlefield reddened. The news of disaster will spread through the lands. It is horrible now to look around as a blood red cloud darkens the sky. The heavens are stained with the blood of men as the Valkyrie sing their song. We sang well victory songs for young kings. Hail to our singing. Let him who listens to our Valkyrie songs learn it well and tell it to others. Welcome to the Sacred Stew. I'm your host, James, and this is my co-host, Anthony. And tonight... I'm really excited about our conversation, Anthony, because we're going to dive into this Silver Age, kind of pick up where we left off in the last couple episodes and tie it all together to forge forward through the stories that have been handed down to us and keep to the timeline of, of events that we've been talking about through the last six episodes. Yeah, I'm excited, too. This is the Silver Age is where things really start to get interesting and pick up. I had a little bit of feedback on our episode last week. Uh, I did want to uh, share a little bit about, you know, when we were talking about the three gifts that Heimdall had given the the runes and the fire auger and the sheaf of grain. Yeah. One of my kinsmen uh, named Kyle, he actually had uh, suggested that fire auger went to the thralls and that the sheaf of grain went to the carl class and of course the jarls received the runes right and uh his thoughts were that the thralls gift to pig was was bread and he said that that equals fire as it's a representation of their prime primal intellect at that time then he said that the carl's gift was the calf's flesh which they had boiled and he said that it equaled grain as it was a symbol of their evolution uh, into agriculture at that time. And that the Jarl's gift was a mill served with silver utensils, which which he suggested equals the runes and how to lead civilizations. Each family welcome rigged in their house with food and fire. And he said that, but each time Rig was given more than the previous family, so he returned greater gifts each time, which I found his, his thoughts on it interesting. Um, especially if we consider that Briggs coming was during different time frames of the history or the migration of our folk. Yeah, I mean, it it's different than what we talked about, but the but the way he presented it makes a lot of sense. And like, I think that also just goes to show that there's really not one way to look at all of this. There's guideposts, but not everybody's going to look at everything exactly the same way. And there are differing points of view that are just as valid. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's The lore is very layered. Some of my thoughts about what he had said, though, and I, I'm not negating what he said because I think that there's some good valid points there. And I think that it's really open for conversation because it is a lot of theory, exactly what it represents, doesn't represent. I, I still wouldn't lean towards that that thought. And the reason why is because, one— even though they gave bread, which has to come from grain, I don't see that as being the representation of fire as the prim- primal intellect because you you don't need fire actually to make bread. That can actually be done in the sun. And for me, if they were given the sheaf of grain, that actually is a first step of evolution where they realize that they can make food from this. And the fire auger still, I still have to keep that with the Carl class because fire already existed. You know, as we learned about earlier with when uh, Heimdall came to be by the grinding of Grody's mill, that there was fire that existed before, but 
it was called the most purest of fires. And with our line of thinking that we talked about last week to make different tools and bracelets and helmets and, and tools that you need for the fields, you need a very hot, pure fire to do that. You can't just do that o- over an open flame. Yeah, no, um, I was thinking the same thing because I went because in my mind, uh, there's a lot of agricultural s- stuff you can do that you don't necessarily need fire for. You don't necessarily need fire to make stone tools. Uh, like when I think of the quote unquote stone age, but you need that pure fire that the fire auger can give to even bring in the iron age and the bronze age, etc. Like what we talk about in history. Exactly. It's an interesting thought though. And I'm sure that there's probably other people out there that have other ideas on exactly what these tools represent. But uh, I thought I would add that commentary there because I thought it was worth it and talking about and at least, you know, maybe somebody else out there will have other ideas about it as well. Yeah, or maybe we put it out there and and somebody else is able to give a more in-depth explanation or thought on it after they sit on it for a little bit. So um, did you, I, I know every week we do, I always ask you, do you have anything that you wanted to kind of recap about last week? Um, any more thoughts or things that you wanted to add to the conversation before we kind of move along in the story here? Honestly, as far as the soul complex goes, I really do think we laid everything out that we could. I I don't have anything of, va- of value to add on to at this point. That that episode kind of kind of hit me yeah it was it was really deep all right well i i don't really have a whole lot to add on to that because i think the things that we discuss tonight and in future episodes will continually build the concept of our soul and its importance over time you know i think we laid the the fundamentals of the metaphysics of it really good last week but uh, let's go ahead and move along so we have rig uh, that came and we talked about him coming because Golvig hyde was spreading mischief among men, uh, breeding with them, corrupting their souls, corrupting their beings. And the gods decided to send one of their own to man to teach them the proper way to be connected with the Goden and uh, follow the laws of order. With that part of the conversation, I know that we talked a little bit about what happens after we die, but we have to touch on it a little bit more. Because we didn't really get too much into like punishments and things that happen after death. For our folk, we have a term called nithing. Are you familiar with that term? Very, very basically. A nithing is somebody that had committed the most atrocious acts, things that were unforgivable uh the first one that comes to mind is like kinsling and uh basically once you're once you've done something to get labeled anything uh you're basically getting the exact same punishment as loki i find it interesting and and i don't know the etymology of it but because i i i should have actually looked it up and kind of studied into it a little bit more but i've always just had this thought about the word nithing being very close and similar to the word nothing. And perhaps that is where the word nothing comes from, that a nithing is a nothing. It is, it's lacking a substance to its soul or to its being. Yeah, I mean, I've I've definitely thought about that too, how close it is to the word nothing. And the word thing, as we know, means like an assembly of different things parts or pieces or substances i always just i i just always found that correlation striking to me so whenever we die we know that we travel the path led by the philia to the hell thing now there are some whose philias as we mentioned in the last episode uh have abandoned them that they have no protection of the kin or the family or the tribe or even of the gods or the desir. These are called, you know, essentially nithings, the ones that would have to stand before the gods and there will be none there to tell that person's tale to the gods. And so they'll be left to speak for themselves. And although most will not be able to speak anything just because they know what they've done. Because of the corruption of man by Golveg in 
and the tricking essentially that she's done. What happened is that the gods found it necessary and the war is kind of brewing up now. Things are starting to get tense. The gods are starting to figure out what's going on here. Whenever they destroyed Emir or, uh, or sacrificed Emir, uh, the home of Thursar or the, the Jotun was destroyed in Nifelhel. Now the gods decided upon that destruction, there formed another home, which they called Nifelheim or Nifelhel. It's really kind of the same thing. Um, and this place has no light, has no stars or suns. It's darker than the, the night sky with no moon, as it's described in the lore. They decided because of Golveg's sather and the corruption that she was spreading, that it was necessary to create a realm where the Nithings could be punished for the things that they did in this world of not being true to the Aesir or following the laws of order that Rig had given to us. And this place was built in Nifelheim, and it's called Nifelhel. Within Nifelhel, there is the Nastarandir, and these are the caves where punishment lies. I'm not one that believes that the punishments are exactly like how the Lord describes, because I think these are poetical metaphors, if you will. And when I've studied it and looked at it, it seems to really be describing uh, punishments or torments where your soul is stripped of things because the Lord describes our souls of the ones that go to Nifelhel as being like birds. And here we go again with that word bird. And if everybody remembers in the last episode, I had uh, mentioned how anytime birds are mentioned, it almost always has to deal with the soul. So the Lord itself describes those that go to Nifelhel as like scorched birds with no feathers that fly around just lost like gnats. The way that I see it and the way that I have interpreted it is that they go to a place that essentially consumes them. I've kind of come to that kind of same understanding myself reading around like once you actually once you've actually done something so atrocious to get labeled a neat essentially lose the privilege of being reborn in the Kenwell and you're basically just obliterated. Now, this isn't like the Christian sin concept of you do one thing wrong and you're done, you're you're nothing. I I can't remember the books off the top of my head, but I have read a couple of times about there being different levels of hell and lesser lesser acts that aren't exactly the greatest uh i've heard uh or i've read about there being the, these different levels and for these lesser acts your soul essentially has to go through and experience the bad act and what it means like almost like a processing thing before you're allowed to be reincarnated like to get that level of a neath, like you really got to be the worst of the worst. It's in my mind, it's something you got to act actively like be trying to get. I don't know. I, I think that nids are it's part of their soul It's part of the qualities of who they are as a being. And I think this has to deal with whenever souls are delivered, because remember that Golveg Hyde as Orboda was part of the regeneration of things when she was working under Freya and that she began corrupting souls as they're delivered to the earth. And so I think that the pure souls that are delivered with no corruption in them, I actually don't think that there that there's much of a judgment for them uh, other than the recognition of the family bonds and them connecting back to the, the soul spirit unless they commit acts of like treason against the, the family or the Godin or 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 something like that, something atro uh, atrocious. Nithing itself, I mean, I, I think that somebody with a soul can become a Nithing, but I think that there's some part of them that is corrupt inside. Uh, we can look at like, for example, in the modern age, where there's a lot of weirdos out there. There's a lot of strange people. And uh, I know I'm probably pre preaching to the choir, as they say, but 
in today's age with like the pedophilia and all of the weird, just strange things that's happening. These are people that they're they're corrupt from the very core of their being. And I don't think that there's no saving them. You know, they're not going to change their nature. This is who they are. I can definitely think of a few people. It seems like the only thing they can do is try to, in the name of being who they are, pervert and break down anything that's, you know, good for families, society, anything good. That's that's all they can do is break that down and attack it. So there's um, what's interesting is in the lore, uh, when it talks about like the judgment of the gods and stuff is that those deemed worthy of Earth's judgment, is they're given a drink from the sacred well, uh, Earth's Bruna, right? Which mm-hmm. is like the memory well. I had a dream about this and about the wells and death and judgment and about the drink that you receive if you're judged worthy. And that essentially being uh, your reinjection, that that drink putting you into Erzbrunner, the Kinwell, is the reinjection back into creation, into the creation process, because it feeds Yggdrasil. And that those who are judged to be Nithings and are sent to Nifel Hell, they're also given a drink. And that drink is... Uh, called the Aether. And that is a drink that actually it's describing how it kills their their body and it causes like a second death. And from that, they're able to still feel like uh, punishments or torment or whatever that poetical description means. They're able to realize that happening to them and that they'll essentially never get out of that state and they're constantly consumed by the forces of destruction and chaos. I mean, it makes sense that, you know, the good would get a drink and the bad would get a drink. I can, I can think about it. Like it makes sense that you would get something regardless. And one would be uh, a boon and another one would be a punishment. Well, and it's interesting that the place of punishment is also described in the lore as the same place where the him. Thursar and the not noble Jotnar or giants and the Vetir of diseases also reside. They go and join them because when, uh, as I had mentioned in a previous episode, whenever uh, Thursar dies, their soul goes back there. It doesn't go to the same place that our souls go. So essentially, you are being sent to them because you're not recognized. And if we think about this in the context of like birth and the rights that we have today with when a child's born and the father recognizing the child, recognizing his soul, calling, you know, the ancestor and the soul and recognizing that, I see the same process playing out after death as well, where the gods judge us and they recognize our souls, they recognize our being as being from among them and then the ones that they don't recognize, they send to the place of the Thursar, where they reside. So do you think, like, in a way, like, Nithings become bad whites or giants? Well, I, I definitely think that Nithings uh, are a corrupted soul. And I think that, you know, I had mentioned before about how uh, if you don't have a filia to guide you to the hell thing, that your soul can also be snatched and grabbed by like the Thursar and that they corrupt these things. And I do think they have the ability to regenerate some of them, but not all of them. So whenever the Go then had created Nifelhel, the place of torment, they did so to bring order to chaos Mm -hmm. so that there was a purpose and a reason for that place to be, be which was completely opposite of the nature of the Thursar. Uh, so I actually, I just took a second while you were talking, and I actually looked up the definition of Nithing. This is Colin's website. So uh, there's three nouns and one adjective. So the two nouns are one, a villain or coward who breaks a code of honor. Two is Norse mythology, 
a malicious creature of Norse mythology, and three, some uh, a person who is miserly or stingy. I mean, when I think about a villain or coward who breaks the code of honor, you know, somebody that, you know, breaks their bond to their king or the god, being miserly or stingy, like, that's the absolute opposite of, you know, hosp- being hospitable and uh, being generous, you know, being being uh, being the worst type of selfish. So that's almost <laughs> like somebody somebody that doesn't share with the clan, with the tribe, you know, somebody who has withhold their power or benefit from the, the, the tribe in some way. Yeah. When I look at all this, it's all about people who do not contribute to the greater good uh, at all. Like it's, you know, the uh, just selfish people, like, you know, people that they're so focused on being an individual that what's good for the rest of everybody else be damned in their minds. The type of person that when brought up in a conversation, people like that, that person is nothing to me. They're nobody. They're dead. Even if they're alive. Like I can think of people in my mind that, I could describe that too. Nowadays, we're like they're they're nothing to me. You know, I considered them friend, brother, sister at one point, but after the things they did and the things they caused, it's like that person's nothing to me. And this was all because of the corruption of Glovig Hype, and it was because of this corruption that not only did the gods create and form and give order to Nifel Hell and a purpose for it. But it's also because of this corruption that they began fortifying Asgard as well, because they realized that was that essentially war was coming. The Silver Ages, when that was essentially kind of recognized by the gods at that time. Something that is important for us to talk about with the punishments and all of that and being a nithing. So there was very specific things uh, that would cause a person to be judged to be a, a nithing. Somebody who wasn't true or honest with their words, somebody who killed a kinsman, somebody that essentially cheated on their husband or wife, if somebody defiled a sacred place of worship, if somebody was to go and defile like graves where people were buried, um, treason. Uh, selling out your own kin and just essentially being malicious. Are we not going to throw in Loki worship in this? Well, I think that, <laughs> I think that falls into uh, treason, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would give the slight caveat to new people that are uneducated and don't know there being a, for lack of a better term, saving grace. But once you know and you continue to turn the other way, then yeah. Which brings us back to the story and the timeline here, because now we've we've touched a lot on the soul rig coming uh, and, and how this works. And important to understand, uh, along with that, is some of the backstory that's happening with the gods, how Rig came into this, and uh, as well as Frey and uh, Alfheim. So pretty much Goldland was being ruled over by Gothi, who is also Jarl, who is the Jarl of the Skulldungs, whom we talked about being one of the sacred bloodlines of Rig. That's where that bloodline originates from. And these Jarls, they resided in essentially the land, what is now called Denmark. But in those days, it was known as Goldland or the God's Land or Odin's Land, right? After Jarl passed, Kolnir inherited this land from his father after his father's death. Now, while this is happening, do you know you know who uh, Ivaldi is? Ivaldi, he he was a dwarf, and he was like one of the greatest, if I remember, because most dwarves were called the sons of Ivaldi, if I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah. The Ivaldi and his sons, they had uh, essentially, they had made a pact with the Goven to protect certain aspects of nature and regeneration and also to guard um, Jotuns from coming over and, and causing 
chaos and mischief in, in Midgard, right? Uh, they protected essentially Vergamer and the regions around that from anything that was dwelling in Eiffelheim. You know who his sons were? Wasn't it um, Brock and his brother? I'm drawing a blank on the name. So uh, Voland, Egil, and Slagfin. Okay. With the sons of Ivaldi. The sons of Ivaldi um, had sworn to protect and guard knife, the Midgard and the other realms from the Jotun, Jotuns in Jotunheim. They were given uh, a task of protecting Freyr and raising him. Uh, Ivaldi raised Freyr, essentially, and his, and his brothers uh, helped look after him and teach him as well. Part of their duties were to not just protect but also to create things that would help and benefit uh the regeneration of things in the world um how much do you know about the story of volan uh if it's the story i'm thinking of him and his two brothers fell in love with valkyries uh after a period of time all three valkyries fly away uh two of the brothers chase after them while Volant stays. Um, eventually a king comes and captures Voland, slices something so he can't walk, and Voland gets his revenge by killing the two of the king's sons and impregnating his daughter before he makes some wings and flies away. All right, so you know you know a good part of the story. We're not going to go that far yet tonight, <laughs> but it's good. You you know the backdrop to to who Voland and and Voland's actually a very interesting character in our lore because uh, there's actually graves in England that uh, portray Voland, and he's clearly associated in many grave sites with some sort of aspect of death. And people recognize this at some point. And hopefully as we're going through all these stories, uh, we'll be able to sh uh, shed a little bit of light on his importance um, in regard to the death process and what he does. But so Voland and his brothers end up marrying their sisters, right? Mm -hmm. And this allowed them, united by their family ties, to defend the welfare of Yggdrasil and provide all of the inhabitants of Midgard with uh, regenerating crops each year. So if you obviously know the story of Volan as you kind of recounted a, quite a bit of it a moment ago, but part of that story is also where he's creating those golden rings. And we had talked a little bit last week about how those golden rings represented the authority of regeneration. Volan falls in love with his sister, Idun, right? Mm -hmm. And together they have a daughter that's whom Skadi is born born from, or some people say Skadi. So Skadi travels on skis and carries a bow and, and, and hunts. Um, she's also called Undurguth or Undurdis uh, because later on she becomes a part of the tribe of the Aesir. Now, of the three sons of Ivaldi, Volan spends most of his time uh, in his smith, where he's forging divine treasures and powerful uh, gifts that will help protect and continue creation, right? He also mm -hmm. learns how to brew, and he brews holy mead, and he benefits essentially all of creation because he had sworn an oath to the Aesir. His father, Ivaldi, was essentially the adopted uh, father of Freyr because Freyr was sent to Alfheim. While it was his duty to safeguard, you know, the other realms in Midgard and uh, Vergemer, most of his time was spent doing other things. So it was really up to his brothers at that time to guard uh that space i don't know have you heard the story about how odin sent thor to the giants to be raised among them no we get into a little bit of victor reidberg with this where he had written about uh, essentially odin sending thor 
uh, uh, to be raised among the giants in that his foster parents realized the power that Thor had in that realized one day that uh, he would destroy and kill them. Right. Mm-hmm. So they plotted and planned to try to kill Thor, but he realized it and he ends up slaying them. So we know like from the stories of, uh, of the travels of Thor, how he would always go to uh, Jotunheim um, you know, the people he would always travel with, like Egil and, and his wife. Yeah. So he would constantly go there. He would go have a meal with Eagle and Groa, who is the wife of Eagle. And um, they would feast upon fish and all sorts of divine delic- delicacies. Um, but also we know the story about uh, Thor he would eat his goats as well. And then the next day he would be able to raise them back up whole. Right. So I have to take a moment and stop there because there's two important points for people to pay attention to with these stories. One is any time that the lore is talking about a God eating something, it is telling us the offering to make to that God. Anytime that the lore is telling us that the God is eating something before doing a specific act, it is telling us what to offer to the God for certain types of acts for that God to do. So I don't want to get to the whole story about Thor and the goats yet. Um, I'm sure you know that. Eagle had uh, adopted Thialfi in yeah. Rospa. You know that story? Yeah. You knew that Eagle and his wife found. Uh, the Alfian Rospa in the forest, right? And then they took them in and they adopted them as their own children. Uh, no, I didn't know that. I always thought th- uh, I always thought they just were their children. No, they were adopted. Okay. So they had found them in the forest and took them in and began caring for them and adopted them as their own and accepted them as part of their kindred, essentially their kin. And Groa, is this the same Groa that's uh, Stripdag's mother? Uh, yes. So, Egil okay. and Groa are the father and mother of Odar. Zvitnag is Odar. That's Freya's husband later on okay. in the story. as We'll get to that for sure. There, There is another theory out there about, um, like, the coming of Rig as well. Mm-hmm. And some some people say that Rig was actually Odin, and that Jarl came from Thor, and Thor being Odin's son, right? Mm-hmm. And that Kolnar, and well, and that the other two lines were essentially under the dominion of Thor. The thralls and the Carl lines, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I don't lean so much towards that theory uh, because um, the one piece that we have that survives, the poet that was reciting that that had recorded that specifically mentioned Heim as this being Heimdall, right? Mm-hmm. And so personally, I. I I, I just get a different feel um, that Rig, in my mind, correlates more to Heimdall. And that's what the only text that we have suggests on the matter. But there is the theory out there that people say that Rig was actually Odin. Yeah, I've, I've heard that before, but not really in depth. Like, no one could really... Nothing I read or in anybody that I've heard it from could really give any valid reasons to why they thought that. Well, it is interesting that like the the kings of yore and even to this day, they they all put a very important um, stress on tracing their ancestry directly to Odin specifically, right? Yeah. And 
that's where they make their claim of being kings come from. But I, my, my personal understanding that I've arrived at after my studies is that it, that it is Heimdall that actually came. He was the one born of the nine mothers um, in that um, he came by the authority of Odin, though. It raises a lot of complications if Odin is Rig, because then it begs the question of, well, is Heimdall actually a god? But the lore describes Heimdall so specifically and his duties so specifically that Heimdall definitely has to exist. Yeah. Well, and then I believe even in the Voluspa, some of the first words are, listen, all ye sons of Rig or sons of Heimdall, depending on which translation you're reading. Anyways, I just thought, I don't mean to go off on a tangent here, but uh, I just thought that was an interesting course correspondence. Um, I know we don't have a lot of time left, but I did want to make sure that we touch on a couple things so in the next episode we can move forward with the timeline and events. So while all this is happening and Rig comes and the founding of the, the lines and uh, Goldvig Hyde is corrupting man and all of this, right? Mm -hmm. So we spoke about in, in many episodes <laughs> about Lothar being Loki and Lothar being Durin, right? Yeah. So we're pretty, I mean, we're, we're 100% sure that Durin definitely causes chaos. Uh, he becomes jealous essentially of not being able to have the meat for his children, right? Yeah. And and the and we know from the lore that the uh, those essentially dark elves were not allowed to drink from the mead, which gives us a close association of Durin and Lothar, essentially his progeny, his children not being allowed to drink of this. So what ends up happening is Durin becomes uh, very, very jealous of the mead not being able to be given to his kin and uh, i would throw in there that it is lothor and he's jealous because of odin's uh, excelling in the tutelage of mimir and uh essentially durin has uh, two children uh one of which uh, uh fialar who ends up stealing the mead and, and so he takes the mead to a secret location. And now this is when we start getting into really interesting details um, because Mimir realizes, obviously, some of the mead had been stolen. And he confronts Durin about this. And Durin tries to defend his son, Fjallar, for for taking the mead, um, but he had instructed him to hide it where nobody could find it. And that mead in the location where he put it is what actually created the uh, Birger fountain. So even though Durin comes to his son's defense, uh, that caused a major conflict between that line of Durin's and Mimir and it severed that relationship forever, right? Yeah. So this caused, this is what caused like a divine division between the different uh, clans the, of the Aether. Uh, for the Alfar, the Jotun, and the Aesir. So when this division happens, um, essentially... The sons of Durin align themselves with the Thorsar in the Jotun. They they make that change. And from that decision or that severance of that relationship um, is how the children of Surt essentially come to exist. And they are sent to the uh, Udgar 
which is also called Sulk Dalir, uh, where they will dwell oh. until Ragnarok. Um, now, now is that also called the Ironwood, or am I thinking of a different area? The Ironwood is a different area. Okay. So, Fjallar is Sutum. Have you ever made that connection before? No, but I'm interested to. Uh, but I'm interested to hear what the connection is. Well, you know, you know the story of Sutum, right? In the Mead. Uh, I'm drawing a blank. Um, Sutong nope, having no. the meat and then no, placing uh, it in the cave. Uh, no, so I remember him having the mead, it being under the base of the mountain. Odin goes to his brother's farm and kills all his thralls, does all the work of the thralls. The brother promises Odin a drink, and Sutung says no. And then Odin's able to get down, get down to, he bores into the mountain and gets his daughter, who's guarding the mead, to, Gunlog. Yeah, uh, yeah, Gunlog, um, to get him three drinks. And he downs all the mead in three drinks and rushes back to Asgard. But I never, uh, I, I can't remember reading how he got it. Well, <clears throat> How, how, so, because Fjallar actually stole the mead from Mimir's well. Mm -hmm. And he took it to that cave to hide it from the gods. And here's a kind of a spoiler alert, is the ones that control the mead, they're able to affect the fate of things. Mm-hmm. That's important to understand as we go through the story and the timeline of events and things that happen. And um, we're going to get to every single part of the story over time. Um, I like the spoiler that you gave there of the story about Sotung and who he was, the relationship to the cave, how Odin came and got it back, because those are all important aspects. Um, but we are running out of time tonight. But I did want to make sure that how we end this, we covered that portion because it's from that mead being stolen that essentially ignites everything else that happens. Okay. So we're talking about Baldur's death and everything else pretty much was the weird of this event. Uh, yeah, I mean, everything that happened with Baller's death was already known. Uh, Earth had already gave him that prophecy at the very beginning of time when Odin came to be. So he, his purpose was to try to change that fate. But he realized that he couldn't, but we'll get to all of that. There's a lot, there's a lot of layers here. There's a lot of information to go through. And we're definitely not going to cover it in like the 60 seconds that we have left for this episode. <laughs> it's easy to get on tangents and forget about time. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. Before we do wrap it up, though, did you have any other thoughts about anything that we discussed tonight? Uh, honestly, no. I mean, it, it was um, enlightening to learn that Fjallar gave Sutting uh, the mead to hide because all I remember reading is that he had it and I was always wondering how he got it. Well, that's because Fjallar is Sutting. Sutung. Okay. That, that makes more sense. Sutung is the son of whoever Sir is and I suggest that Sir is Lothar as do several scholars out there, who is also Durin. And then I also have the theory that it is the same person as Loki. But it doesn't have to be Loki for the story to still work. It's changed the way it, it, it does. 
but it fits really nicely together in my mind, at least. But understanding that all of these different names, even though we have like the name Durin and we have Lodor and now we have Fjaller and then Sotong, we're only talking about two people. Fjaller, who is Sotong, who is the son of Durin, and Durin is the same person as Lodor, who is Surt. Uh, all right. <laughs> I got lost. <laughs> I got slightly lost there for a second, but I think I got it. I know there's a lot of names thrown out there, but that's what makes it hard. That's what that is what has made it hard for a lot of people over the years when they've read all these different scattered poems and histories and all these different things that it, it, it's, it's never been cohesive enough for most people to understand the relationships of what of who these different names are and who they are in the lore. We yeah, just always I, have to remember. I was just going to say, having it all in one place, like, I mean, we see that Odin has different names. Frigga has different names. And as we bring more stuff together, we're able to easily start seeing that there that a lot of beings they have more than one name and once we get all these together and we tie them together we can uh start better understanding that you know who's who and what they mean it was time's morning eagles screeched holy waters fell from the heavenly mountains then the mighty corner was born by Bergilder Dorat in Bralunder. It was night, nor near came. They who did shape the orlog of the noble man, they proclaimed him best among the Boothlunger, foremost among the scolding, and most fame among the princes. With might they twisted the orlog dater, so that he will settle burgs in Bralunder, they arranged the golden thread and fastened it directly beneath the moon's hall. In the east and west they hid the ends the Jarl should rule between there. Near Mimir's kinswoman set one thread northward and bade it to hold forever. There was one cause of alarm to the Ilfinger, and also for her who bore the loved one. A hungry raven cawed to another raven in the high tree. Hear what I know. Skuldur, Jarl's son, stands in a coat of mail, one day old. Now the day has come. His eyes are sharp. Like those of the Hildinger, he is a friend of wolves, and we shall thrive. My name is Anthony. My co-host is James. This has been the Sacred Stew. Y'all have a good night.